Good? Awesome. I'm good. I'm nervous. You bet. You guys scare me. I'm used to, to, to teaching youth on Sunday nights, and I don't know, they're, they're technically more scary than you, but you're bigger. All right. Let's pray real quick. Father, we just ask today, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, and that everything that is of me would just go to the wayside, Father, and everything that is of your word that would give life and breathe life and speak life, Father, I pray that it would sink deep into our soul and leave us changed, Father. And as we go out of here really shortly, Father, I pray that we be changed people. In the name of Jesus, amen? Amen. Amen. All right, Matthew 21, verse 18 through 22 says this. In the morning, as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry. Anybody else hungry? And he noticed a fig tree beside the road, and he went over to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. And then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again, and immediately the fig tree withered up. The disciples were amazed when they saw this and asked, how did this fig tree wither so quickly? So here's Jesus, he's, he's, he's walking down the road and he sees this fig tree, and it's barren, and he curses it, and the disciples are like, holy smokes! And they saw a sign of something begin to die in this tree. And the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 11 that, that uh, the next day as they passed through, they saw that the tree had actually withered up by then. Right? There, there was this change in the tree. But Jesus took that opportunity to, to teach about faith to his disciples. And he says, says things like, you, you've all heard that if you have faith as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be thrown into the ocean, and it would be done for you. Right? We've all heard, heard that, that thing, right? We've all heard this about faith. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to, to teach about faith. But uh, the thing I think we have to answer today, the first question we have to answer today was, was Jesus hangry? <laughs> Who knows what hangry is? Right? Hangry. It's, it's when we're angry, hungry. It's when, when you need something to eat and you haven't eaten something and, and all of a sudden your mood starts to change, your attitude starts to change, your face starts to change, your voice starts to change, right? You start sounding demon-possessed sometimes. I mean, I, I have friends who, who I will not name because they would kill me who, who get hangry. I mean, we'll go, we'll go out on a Friday night, and we'll, we'll go to dinner, we'll go see a movie, we'll, we'll hang out, we'll do the guy thing, and, um, you know, all the guys will be together, and, and it'll, it'll all just be fun. We're talking about this movie we're going to go see, and all of a sudden, one of, the, one of the bros in the back seat says, the movie sounds stupid. He's <laughs> like, dude, you're the one who said we should go see it. Well, yeah, it sounds dumb now. I just want to go home. It's like, what? And, and then, and then, like, you're a jerk. <laughs> and, you know, out of nowhere, right? It's like, dude, what'd I do? Then I'm asking the other guy, dude, did I do anything? Right? I mean, they even make Snickers commercials about this, don't they? Right? I'm, I'm going to start carrying a Snickers in my glove box. Right, but was, was, Jesus, was Jesus hangry? Right? I, I got friends. I went to the dentist the other day. Anybody love to go to the dentist? I love to go to the dentist. Right? You spend six months out of your year making your teeth look as shiny as possible so you can make the dentist pleased, right? <laughs> Brushing them all the time and picking at them and flossing them. And you go to the dentist and you lay down on the table and you, you have it in your head. They're, they're going to say my teeth look great this time, right? And, and you lay down and you're like, ah. And 
They come up and they're like, ooh. Mm. I mean, it, it, it's terrible. I mean, I mean, if you ever want to know whether or not your, your children are called to be a dentist, if you ever go in their room and they're using a human torso as a bench to play on, you'll know your kid is called to be a dentist. Yeah. I mean, you, you, go, you, go, you go to the dentist and they use you. Like, you're laying on a table and they're using you to stack tools on. You know what I mean? So, yeah, going to the dentist. So I'm laying on the dentist table, the, the chair, I don't know what you call it, and, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm laying there with my mouth open, and I got these sharp tools in my mouth, and I hear the sound you don't ever want to hear. Right? Gurgle, 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 right beside my head. What is that? Gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. What? Is, what? Lord, no. And it's the stomach. Of, of the nurse growling right beside me. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, please no. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if I could get her a string, string cheese. Because I don't want sharp objects in my mouth when somebody's getting hangry. It is not good. I mean, I mean can, you, can you imagine? Oh, I'm just... <laughs> it's terrible. So, was Jesus hangry? And the answer is no. The answer is no. Jesus wasn't hangry. But you know what? We have to look back at the previous day to discover what led to this strange encounter with this tree, don't we? So, if we look back to Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. Here we have Jesus and his followers. They come into Jerusalem. They're coming from Bethpage. They go over the Mount of, Ol- the Mount of Olives, and they come into Jerusalem. This is the week leading up to Christ's crucifixion, the week of Passover. And they, they enter into Jerusalem. Jesus is on a donkey. We've heard the story, the Christmas story, right, where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. This is what's happening. Easter, I'm sorry, not, not Christmas. And so, so he goes to the temple. Right, which was customary for every Jew to go to the temple for pass- before Passover for purification. So they go to the temple, and what do they see? They see the Temple Mount, right, built by King Herod not too long ago. took took over sixty years to build, and and they were still working on it even at the time Jesus shows up. And he had gone there, you know, multiple times. But even at this point in his ministry, it was still a work in progress. Walls one hundred and fifty feet tall. On the top of this thing, it's, it's approximately 24 football fields in size. It's massive. And up on top of this thing, this is the largest structure in the known world at the time. And the most decorative, the most beautiful. In, in the middle of this 24 f- football field area is the temple. right? And the temple is made of white granite. And it stretches up to the sky, and, and it's ordained in gold. It looks amazing. It's breathtaking to see. But we know you can't go see it now, right? Because what G- Jesus said, not, not one stone will be left on top of another. And we know in 70 AD, not one stone was left on, left on top of another. In fact, it was even ordered, uh, uh, it was ordered that, that not one stone should be left on top of another when it was destroyed by the Roman government. Right, I mean, it was it was absolutely prophetic. So, so here we have Jesus shows up to to the temple, and there's thousands of people, if not ten thousands, maybe even fifty thousand people in this twenty four football field area, big flat area. Animals, right? They were being brought for sacrifices, and and here we have here we have Jesus shows up, and 
we, we know that he sees this place, and it looks amazing, and he goes in and, and he begins turning over tables because something's not right, right? People are being ripped off. They're being robbed. Poor people who are, who are buying doves because they can't afford other animals for sacrifice are being robbed and ripped off, right? People are being charged tremendous amounts of money to exchange the, the, the money that they've brought because you couldn't bring Roman money to, to the Jewish temple because it had a picture of a false god on it. They had, to, they had to exchange it for money that didn't have a picture of a false god on it. But then they would be absolutely raked under the coals in the, in the exchange rate or in, in, the, in the, what it would cost them to trade that money in, right? So, so here we have people who are supposed to be connecting people with God, right? The religious leaders and the priests who are involved in, in extortion, right? They're not connecting people with God. They're in here and they're, they're, they're doing damage, and so on the outside, this place looks really amazing, but on the inside, they're barren of life, aren't they? And, and so Jesus goes in, and, and, and he flips the place over. This isn't the first time he's done it, though. He did it about two and a half years ago at the beginning of his ministry. We read in John chapter 2 that Jesus goes to the temple right after his first miracle, and he prunes it. He sets it straight, and here we, at, the, at the end of his ministry, he's, he's able to check up on it. And what's going on? That, that, that rotten thing has come back. And, and Jesus' heart is broken for these people who have come here to connect with God. And so he begins healing and ministering life to thousands of people that are up here. Right? Ministering life and hope and peace to these people. Right? Healing blind eyes and deaf ears. Right? Lame legs, broken arms. All these things. Jesus begins to, to do the miraculous. And as it begins to get dark... They leave and they go back to Bethany, right, to stay with Lazarus and his sister. And so here uh, they come back in, into town the next day. Jesus has it in mind. He's going to go and he's going to continue ministering life at the temple. He doesn't have to go back, right? They've gone there for purification. They can move on. Well, now Jesus has it in mind. I'm going to go back. I'm going to minister life to these people. And so he, he's, he's, they're heading back out of Bethany. And on his way there, he comes to this tree. And here's this tree, and it looks really good and full and green and leafy. And as he gets up to it, there's no fruit. It's barren. And so Jesus says to this tree, you'll never, you'll, you're never going to produce fruit again. As a prophetic proclamation against the temple and against the religious leaders who were barren also. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, fig fact. <laughs> fig fact, right? Interesting fact about figs, right? Fig trees produce leaves and fruit at the same time. Figs produce leaves and fruit at the same time. If you see a fig tree that's leafy and green and full, Jesus should expect that when he goes to this tree, it would have fruit on it. But he got there and it was barren. If it has leaves, it ought to have fruit. And in the same way, if it's religious and spiritual, it ought to have life. And neither one of them did. The, the, the tree didn't, and the temple didn't. We can be really good at, at hiding behind leaves, can't we? We can be real good at hiding behind the facade right? The, the, the religious leaders did it. I mean, they had this amazing, amazing temple, 
right? But yet they were barren on the inside. They were hiding behind their, their, their amazing ephods, right, that they were allowed to bring out just during, during feast times. In fact, the Roman government wouldn't let them wear their, their priestly ephods because it was a symbol of power. And they were only allowed to bring them out during feast times. And so here was a feast time, and, and they were wearing their, their, their ephods and all their awesome stuff, right? And they looked real good on the outside. We, we do the same thing. We can look really good on the outside, can't we? I mean, we've been doing it for thousands of years. Let's take a look back at Genesis chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, right? It says this. So they ate some of the fruit. We've all heard this story before, right? Adam and Eve falling into sin. Uh, it says, uh, so she ate some of the fruit, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And then, she, then he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and suddenly they felt shame. Everybody say shame. Right? They suddenly felt shame, something they hadn't felt before. So they strung fig leaves together and put it around themselves. Toward evening, they heard the Lord God walking in the garden. And so they hid themselves among the trees. And the Lord God called out to them, Where are you? And he replied, I heard you, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Let me tell you, I would imagine the reason Adam and Eve were hiding in the trees, wrapped in fig leaves, was not because they were naked, but because they felt shame for the first time. It was the shame that they were experiencing. Have you ever failed? Have you ever failed God? Have you ever, ever failed? And you get that sense in your heart of, oh man, I just, I, I, I missed it, right? But we're good at, we're good at putting up the facade, right? We're, we've, we're good at putting up the leaf show, right? And here they are hiding in the trees, and, and Jesus comes along. I mean, the Bible says God is spirit. Who is in the garden? Jesus, right? Because Jesus is the manifestation, the incarnation of the living God. God is spirit. Jesus is God in the flesh, Jesus is in the garden. And here he is saying, hey guys, what's up? Where are you at? And they're like, oh, uh, well, we heard you, but we're in the trees naked. But we're good here. It's cool. Nothing to see here. <laughs> Did Jesus leave them there? No. He called him out and he fixed it. We, we spend so much time hiding behind this, right? We know the right things to say. We, we come to church on Sundays. We know the religious stuff. We, we, we can, if somebody asks you how you're doing, we know really well how to say, good, don't we? You ever say, terrible? <laughs> Not very often, right? Even though we may be hiding shame and guilt and pain and wounds and hurt and unforgiveness and all these things we're bearing in our soul, but we don't want anybody to see it because we're hurting and it's painful. But listen, I want to tell you guys today, God loves us too much to let us stay fruitless. God loves you too much to let you remain fruitless. God loves us too much to let us stay hiding in the fig trees. And that's why I believe he said this, John chapter 15, verse 1 through 17. This is just a few days after this tree incident. And I believe it was fresh in, in, in Jesus' disciples' mind, and I believe it was fresh in Jesus' mind when he said this. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. See, they went to, to the temple for purification, but then Jesus sees what's going on and flips things over and he begins healing people, right? The purification may not have taken place the way that it would traditionally. And so the disciples probably, as they're approaching feast time, are wondering, are we okay to, to, to do this? Right? And Jesus is, is reminding them, you're clean because of, what, because of the words that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we're going to experience fruitfulness in our lives, it starts by letting Jesus get us out from behind the fig trees. Right? If we're going to experience fruit in our lives, we've got to get to the place where we allow Jesus to begin to examine the stuff that's going on in our souls. To reach down deep and pull us out from behind the stuff that we, that we hide behind, from the facade. So, so I'm going to talk this morning, what does, what does abiding look like? What's a, what does abide mean? Some of your Bibles may say remain, right? The word remain, it means to stay with constantly, right? It means you don't leave, you stay with it, with, with it constantly. Aaron, can I use you for a minute? Come on up here, brother. This is Aaron. Let me lock arms with you. Aaron and I are abiding. We're staying together, right? Where, where I go, he goes. If, if I go back here to... Aaron, let's go, let's go back here to this wall. If, if I go back here to the wall and... and oh, I, I want to stop. Aaron, go to that wall, right? He, I mean, he's going to win, <laughs> right? If, if he wants to go to the wall, I go to the wall. If I want to go to the wall, he goes to the wall, right? Because we're abiding. Everywhere he goes, I go. If I decide I'm going to go to church... Aaron, I'm going to go to church, man. You coming with me? Yep. Because yep. he's abiding, right? What are you doing? Going to church, abiding. Abiding, right? <laughs> Thanks, brother. Give him a hand. He, he's abiding. So if I go to the movies, right? I got, I got Jesus with me. I'm abiding in Jesus, right? Because the Bible says, just like we just read, apart from him I can do nothing. So I've decided in my relationship with Jesus I want to abide, right? I'm I'm locked with I'm locked with God. I'm locked with Jesus. If I go to church, he goes to church. If I go home, he goes home. If I go to the movies, where's he go? The movies, right? So I go to church and I bring Jesus with me cuz it feels really good. I want to have Jesus with me, right? I wake up in the morning, I feel spiritual. And I, and I leave church, and, and about Tuesday comes around, and, 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 and I've got Jesus, and I decide, you know, my friends call me and say, hey, we want to go see this movie. And I think, well, that's, that movie's kind of questionable. I don't know about that. I'm, I'm abiding with Jesus. Maybe I could just take him off and set him over here. He's going to be hangry. That's right, Ryan. So, but now I'm going to abide, right? I'm going to take Jesus with me. So I take Jesus to this movie that maybe I know he wouldn't want to see. Right? Maybe I go somewhere, I'm going places, I'm doing things, I'm taking Jesus with me, but I may be doing things and leading him into things that would grieve his spirit. And there's something in me that says, this isn't making God happy that I'm, that I'm, that I'm involving my life in these things, but I'm still taking Jesus with me, right? 
Because I'm not going to leave them. I'm not going to compartmentalize my life. And we do that sometimes, don't we? Where we compartmentalize our life. I have my Jesus life. And I have my friend's life. I have my work life. I have my family life. And sometimes we, we tend to sit in our own minds, our relationship with Jesus to the side while we do things. If I yell at my wife and we get in a big fight, how many of you know that mentally it feels good to set Jesus aside, right? But he's with me. Everything I do, he's with me. We take Jesus with us everywhere we go. We abide in him. When we're abiding in him, he's with us. We're locked arms, right? But there comes a point in our relationship with Jesus There comes a point in our relationship with Jesus where the roles, as we abide in Christ, what does abiding in Christ look like, right? Jesus said this, um, you abide in me if you obey my commandments, okay? You abide in me if you obey my commandments. What's that mean? If we obey the Ten Commandments, do we abide with God? It's not what he's talking about. He's saying, what what did Jesus say? What are the things that Jesus said recorded in the Gospels? This is what he's telling his disciples. It includes the Ten Commandments, He summed them up, didn't he? Love your neighbor, love God, right? So he summed them up. But how do we know what Jesus said? We have to be in the Word, don't we? We've got to read the Word. We have to know what it says. And so so we're we're, we're in the Word. We're spending time in prayer. Jesus commanded us to pray, didn't he? He commanded us to pray. So we're, we're, we're in the Word daily. We're in prayer daily. Right? We're having fellowship with each other, with other believers, regularly. Right? We're abiding in Christ. We're abiding with each other. Right? That's why Jesus said it's one commandment. Love, loving God, loving people. Right? They're not separated. It's not two, it's one. It includes each other. So here we are, we're abiding. But like I was saying, the, the roles at some point have to begin to reverse, where we stop leading Jesus everywhere we go, and we begin to have a sensitivity to his spirit, and now the roles reverse, and he begins to lead us. He begins to lead us. We begin to listen to the prompts in our heart about what to do, sometimes what not to do, right? And it's going to, your friends may see a difference in your life because you're saying, you know what? I want to honor God with the decisions that I make. I'm going to honor God with the things that come out of my mouth. I'm going to honor God with the things I put into my ears and into my heart and into my eyes, right? I'm going to begin honoring God with these things. All right, God's beginning to lead me by his spirit. Listen, you will never lead God into his best for you. Okay? You will never lead God into his best for you. In... Uh, Psalm chapter 32, it says, it says, I will advise you and lead you along the best pathways of your life. Only God can lead you down the best path- pathways of your life, right? You can't lead God there. We have to allow the roles to reverse and begin listening to the promptings and the sensitivity of the Spirit as we abide with Him. Because He's just like He says, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? We can't do anything apart from Him. That's not lifeless. We can do all sorts of things apart from him, but it's not going to produce good things. In fact, Galatians 5, through 26 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience. My, my Bible, my translation says long-suffering. I, I don't like the word patience because patience insinuates, I'll put up with you 
until it starts to affect me. Right? I'll put up with you as long as it's okay with, with, with how I'm feeling, right? Long-suffering has a totally different connotation to it. Long-suffering essentially says the putting up with begins when it starts to cost me something. Right? Patience sets in when now I'm having to suffer. Right? And that's the spirit of what this is saying, right? Long-suffering, kindness. Man, what are the things that God wants in our lives, the fruit that God wants to produce in us as we abide? That's what these things are. Uh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it says, against such things there is no law. Of course not. Who would make a law against things like love and peace and kindness? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, right? So, of course, there is no law against these things. In verse 24, it says, And those who, uh, who, who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Right? We have crucified our, our, our desires and our passions. What's, what's that talking about? Right? The Bible talks about right before this in uh, verse 17 or 11 or 17, 5, 11 through, through 17-ish. It says that, um, sorry, I'm, my, my, my mouth is getting ahead of my brain. Yeah. So it talks about the lusts of the flesh. Right? The lusts of the flesh are the things that happen when we make decisions based on our feelings. Not led by the Spirit. Right? The, and the very first one, I think it's really interesting, the very first lust of the flesh is sexual immorality, adultery. Right? Because it's what we feel like doing. If you're married and you feel like having a, an adulterous relationship with somebody at work, right? It starts with a feeling, doesn't it? And then you have to act on the feeling. It's about making decisions based on, on what's going on in our, in our earthly, fleshly hearts. And I love what, what Paul does here, is the very first fruit of the Spirit is love. And Scripture makes it clear to us that love is an action, right? Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not proud, it's not... I mean, the list goes on, right, of what love is... And we have to choose to do it. Our feelings tell us one thing sometimes, but our spirit tells us another. And it says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Right? There's two things going on here. If we live in the spirit, right? If you've committed your life to Jesus, you live in the spirit. Right? Now you're alive in Christ. You live in the spirit. But then he says something else here. Let us also walk in the spirit. If I want my kids to experience all the awesome things that life has, like Disneyland, right? Don't you know they have to mature from the point of just living to walking so they can go out and experience the, the life that God has for them and the life that Angie and I have for them, right? They have to mature and walk, and we do too spiritually. And that's what Paul is saying here is that, that we have to come to the place where we're not only content being saved, we're not only content living in the Spirit, but now we've got to walk something out. As we abide, God gives us the capacity for fruit. See, just like Jesus said, apart from me, we can do nothing, right? When we abide in Him, He then begins to give us the capacity in our soul for fruit, in our spirit for fruit. What's that mean? Without Jesus, all we can do is leaf. 
Without Jesus, all we can do is leaf. It's like that tree, right? All we can do is put out the green show. We can, we can put out the facade for people to see that everything looks really good, but inwardly we can still be barren and in shame and wounded, living in unforgiveness and bitterness. I mean, that's what sets in when, when, when we don't forgive, right? Bitterness begins to set in and, 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 and anger and all these things that can well up inside of us, but we can look really good on the outside, can't we? Right? And we've got to get to that place where, where we're abiding because God wants us to, be, to have fruitful lives. Right? Fruit is what we do as a result of what God is doing in us as we abide. I'll say that again. Fruit is what we do. Right? Fruit is what we do as a result of what the Spirit is doing in us. Right, we walk, we do. So, what does that look like? Um, what's that look like? So, uh, driving down the road to church Sunday morning, right? Anybody drive here today? Probably most of you, right? And you're feeling really spiritual, so it would take more than one person cutting you off to get you angry. So, the second person cuts you off, and then what happens? Right, that 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 feeling wells up inside of us, stinking jerk, right? I mean, we, we get it in our head, we get it in our, in our, in our being, right? I'm just angry because this person, not only did they cut you off, they slammed on the brakes. And then they shook a fist at you, right? I mean, it was, it was, it was bad. And so now the feeling is, man, you're, you're just a filthy jerk and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm angry, right? So, so the, the, the flesh feeling rises up, but you've been abiding in Christ. You now have the capacity for fruit. The Spirit is in you. And so that angry feeling happens, but all of a sudden there's something in your spirit that goes poof. It's like a little flame that just goes pop. It's a fruit. It's that capacity, poof, in your, in your soul to make a different choice. And now you have the opportunity to walk. How many of you know what happens when you ask God for, for a gift? Gives you a gift. If you ask God for fruit, what do you get? A trial. I'm not kidding you. If you ask God for fruit in your life, you're going to get a trial. You know why? Because Paul said walk. He didn't say just get it, right? God's not a, a magic fairy that flies around and sprinkles Bible dust on you, and all of a sudden you can just have fruit in your life, right? That's not what happens. He gives you the capacity for fruit, and then he gives you trials. And then what happens is, you're angry, but now that you've been abiding, that, that flame goes off in your heart, and you choose peace, right? Whatever fruit it is that is applicable to that trial is going to go poof. And you may not be full of joy. You may not be full of peace at the situation, but there's something in your soul that says, wow, I, I have this thing in me that I can choose to not freak out, flip out, flip off, and punch, and freak out, and swerve, and whatever else I want to do, right? I can choose something different. And so, we walk. We do. Right? All of a sudden, we fruit. Poof! Fruit! We do something different. And then what happens? Poof! In our soul, fruit. I may not be at peace, but as I've been abiding in the Lord, and my life is rough, and all this stuff's going on, something happens, and all of a sudden, 
the capacity for fruit snaps in my heart. And, and when the, the, the trial arises, I choose to produce fruit. And then in my soul, fruit blossoms as well. It's a spiritual principle. You guys heard of it? It's called giving, right? Giving, it will be given back to you. How? Pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. It's not just money. It's not just money. As you give joy from abiding, now joy begins to well up in your soul. Right? Joy begins to well up in your soul. Love begins to well up in your soul. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? From that capacity that was put there from abiding in Christ. So uh, I've got an apple tree in my backyard, two of them, and I hate them. They produce very little apples, and the ones they do produce look more like slugs, they're disgusting and brown, and, and the only thing that's apple about them is they hang off an apple tree. That's it. And so I, I called a tree pruner, and I'm like, hey, man, you guys got to fix my trees because they don't produce apples. They're ugly, and they're terrible. And uh, so I said, but I want them to look nice. I want them to, to produce fruit. I want them to be fruitful trees. And so the, the, the guy shows up in my house and uh, tells me what he's, tells me, I'll make these trees awesome. In a year, they're going to be all pruned up and, and awesome. And I said, great. So, uh, I, a couple of days later, the guy comes over to my house and I look in my backyard and the, there's like three dudes in there with chainsaws and they are going to town on my apple trees. And I'm like, Hey man, they, they must know what they're doing. And they're hauling off big chunks. And, and the, the tree began to grow back out after the next year. And, and it looked nice and full and awesome. And, and then, Still didn't have any fruit. And the next year came around, and it still didn't have any fruit. Well, I had by this time, I had more trees in my front yard that, that were looking pretty bad, too. And I was at the gas station, and I kept putting it off because it, it the last guy just made a mess. So I thought, I'm, I'm going to, I need to track somebody down. I was at the gas pump, and beside me was uh, this other pruning service. And, and I said, hey, man, uh, I got some trees. Can you prune them? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Come on over. So he showed up in my house like a week later and is looking at my, my tree. I've got this weeping cherry tree, giant thing. And it is the, the, the ugliest thing in the world. I didn't think so until I looked at it from my neighbor's house. My neighbor's always like, man, what are you going to do about that tree? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Dude, just come over and burn it down. And, and you know, from, from the sides that I saw, it didn't look that bad. But from my neighbor's driveway, it looked horrendous. And I wanted to make it look better for me and for my neighbor. So a uh, pruner comes over, and he says, hey, I'll take care of it. I was like, great. A week later, he shows up and, and works on my tree while I'm gone to a meeting. And, and I, I come home, and I pass him on my way. And I'm thinking, he probably chainsawed that sucker down. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, I get home, and I look at it, and it, it, it looks shapely, right? Looks good. Apple trees look shapely. Awesome. And I thought, it was a good price for what he did. You know, the tree looks, looks uh, more shapely and, and aesthetically pleasing to my neighbor. And then I started looking close at it, and I walked over to it, and I, I looked underneath it. And what used to be this giant tangle of just nasty branches and weeds and, and you know, just ugliness, right? Just full of ugliness. I could go underneath this thing now and stand up like it was an umbrella. 
I mean, this guy went in there and intricately, delicately removed everything that was crisscrossed, growing up, growing bad, growing sideways, the leaves that, that weren't seen. So from the outside, you see this beautiful cascading umbrella of leaves on the outside, and inside is been trimmed for life. It's been trimmed to, to be a healthy, healthy tree, right? All, all the, the branches that are there are getting nourishment the way they're supposed to instead of all these dead branches that are just infecting everything, right? And this guy came in there and just did, did an amazing job. I mean, you guys know where I'm going with this, right? I mean, God doesn't want to come into our lives and, and chainsaw us, right? God, in fact, let me read this to you here. John 15, 2, it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more fruitful. Right? Does this mean that, that God's going to get rid of me? No, it says every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that's not producing fruit quite right. right? There are areas in our lives that God needs to cut loose. There are areas that are causing you nothing but bitterness, pain, heartache, and unforgiveness that we've been hiding behind leaves, hiding behind a front, that God wants to gently begin to cut those things loose. And I know you want them gone too, don't you? I mean, you want them gone. It begins when we abide. When we stop thinking of reading scripture and praying and, and hanging out with other believers and really growing in our relationship with Jesus as a religious thing that we do a couple days a week. Right? But when we begin to pursue Jesus with our soul, right? Jesus said we're to love God with our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. Right, Every aspect of our being, we've got to pursue Jesus. He's the only one that can come into your life, intricately and delicately remove the stuff that is killing you from the inside out and produce life in you. So that someday when you stand before Jesus, you're going to be like a a tree that has fruit all over it. And until then, you're going to go to work and you're going to produce life in the relationships around you. Love when it's not even warranted. Joy when it's impossible. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control will be flowing out of you. Let's pray.